Father, you know every single one of our hearts. You know how we've come this morning. You know the things that have occupied us this last week and even today. You know where we stand in our relationship with you and with others. Father, now we ask that in this period now that you will work amongst us by your Spirit, that you will address every single one of us. And Father, please help us to respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect everybody here has known what it is to long for love. Sometimes passionately, sometimes deeply, sometimes emotionally, sometimes out of despair. To long for love to come, to long to love for love to remain, to long that love would be restored and healed, to long that love would grow. Sometimes those experiences have been particularly intense experiences, sometimes they may have been experiences of great pain for us. But there is something in us as human beings that at our very deepest core we long for love. And I think that says something very important about who we are and how God has put us together. Because there is a sense, I think, in which we think that love is what we ought to experience, that we should know what it is to love and be loved, and that we should exist in an atmosphere of love. We think that that's how life should be. And actually, the Bible agrees. It agrees that we should be people who know love and experience love, that we were made for love. The Bible is, in effect, a love story. It begins with love because God is love, and He created us out of love. He created the entire universe out of love because He is love. And he continues to love his creation and his creatures. And that love has a particular focus. And that particular focus of God's love for us is Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still his enemies, sinners, Christ died for us. Made for love. And some of you may have prayed for love. You may have prayed for human love. You may have prayed about your children where relationships have gone wrong. You may have prayed for God's love. When we move to this section in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, which is the climax of the first half of Paul's letter, to the church in Ephesus, we have this great prayer for love. It is very striking in its location in the text because the first half of Ephesians, these first three chapters, 
are largely concerned with what God has done for us in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. They're all huge theological principles and issues. And as he comes to the climax, he prays. And it's an essentially a prayer that his readers, and therefore by extension us, might experience love. Verse 17, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's, a, he's addressing Christians. And, and, and so, in some ways, it sounds strange, doesn't it? Because he prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts, but isn't the essence of what he means to be a follower of Christ that Christ already dwells in us? He prays that they may have power to know Christ's love. But haven't they already experienced God's love in Christ? Those two things, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and love, are related because Christ is the embodiment of God's love for us. They're linked. But why does he pray that these people who are already followers of Christ may know about Christ dwelling in their hearts? Why does he pray that they may come to know this love more deeply? Let me suggest two reasons. Number one, there's a difference between knowing and knowing. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. You can know that God is love because the Bible says God is love. You can know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You could know because you read it there and you understand it that this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You can know that. But it's a very different thing from saying, I know what the text says. God is love. Christ died on the cross. It's very different from knowing in that way and saying, I know God loves me. There's a difference between knowing Annoying. And when Paul prays here, he is praying for both. That is, that they will grasp with their minds, but that they will know in their experience. He wants them to know both kinds of knowing. I was brought up in a Christian home, and so I always knew the story. Jesus died on the cross. I, I knew that. It was the demonstration of God's love for us and it was effective. Christ died on the cross. And I could do the logic. God is love. 
God has demonstrated effectively his love for his world by sending Christ and by Christ willingly coming and dying on the cross for sins so that we can be in a right relationship with God. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, all that. Therefore, therefore he must love me. I could do the logic. But there's a difference between knowing and really knowing, experiencing God's love. And the Christian life is not merely an exercise in logic. Yes, it does make sense. Yes, we need to understand with our minds, but it's about experience as well. Experiencing God's love in Christ. And that's what Paul's praying for. For the people of Ephesus, and by extension, for us here this morning, you might know this love as Christ dwells with us. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. And here's another reason why he prays this. There's always more. There's always more. Because this love is so extraordinary and so vast. This love of God, it's beyond measure. The height, the depth, the length. It is so vast. This is the love of God we're talking about. And so however much you've experienced and you know of the love of God, there's always more to know and more to experience until we reach that final destination, which I guess is what verse 19 is about, that you might be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. There is a day coming when we see Jesus face to face, if you like, and our hearts will be full. But until then, there's always more. Paul's prayer for love. I've already mentioned about the significance of this in the letter. The first half of Ephesians is theology, if you like. It's doctrine. It's teaching truths. In the second half of the letter, beginning in chapter 4, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. That is, all these things I've been telling you about that Christ has done for you, that God has done for you in Christ that needs to impact your life, in particular, how you relate to each other in the body of Christ. How it affects your family life, your marriage, your children, your job, everything. And he's going to tell them that there are some things where they need to pick up their game. He's going to deliver an apostolic boot up the backside. Don't be like them, which is what you were before. Instead, be like this. Get rid of all bitterness. Instead, live a life of love. So he's going to urge them to put into practice what they've been learning from what he said in the first three chapters. But before he does that, before he moves into chapter 4, 
the climax of chapter 3 is a prayer, and it's a prayer for love, and that's very significant. He prays for an experience of love before he tells them what to do. Isn't that striking? The answer is yes, it is. See, we tend to want to reverse those things. If I obey God more, he'll love me more. If I work really hard at my Christian life, then I'll experience more of his love. But Paul puts it the other way around. He says, I'm praying that you will experience the love of God. And then out of that, he calls them to obedience. Obedience that does not come out of love. Risks becoming cold, heartless, empty, mere ritual and legalism. And the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a place of love. Chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You cannot do that without first experiencing God's love. And however much you and I have known of God's love and experienced of it, there is always more. And however much Christ dwells in your heart by faith, there is always more. Let's have a look at the prayer. It's a prayer Verse 16, for strengthening and power, and then in verse 18. Verse 16, he prays that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, at the very depths of you, in other words. In verse 18, he prays that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why is there a prayer for strengthening? Why does he pray that? Two reasons. In case you hadn't noticed, God's love isn't always obvious, is it? We can point to Jesus dying on the cross and say that demonstrates God's love. I know that. But God's love in your life? Does he really love you? Does he care about your circumstances? Does he care about what you're going through today? What you experienced last week? Does he care about your family? Paul's in prison here. And he has to encourage them in verse 13 not to be discouraged because he's in prison. You see, if God's love is so powerful, why is Paul in prison? And you may be asking a similar kind of question because there are things going on in your life and you're saying, I know that the Bible says God loves me and I know Jesus died on the cross for me, but I don't experience his love in my family situation at the moment and in my circumstances. And I'm so overwhelmed by what's happening to me 
I don't know what to think anymore. It's as if in my inner being something's died. Why does he pray for strengthening and power? Because knowing God's love, experiencing it isn't obvious. And the second reason is because we are weak and frail and damaged by sin. And this is the love of God we're talking about, which is so vast and great and high. Do, do you know the most overwhelming thing about God? At the end of the day, the most overwhelming thing about God is not his power. It isn't his justice. The most profoundly unsettling thing about God is his love. In its purity. In its extent. In its grandeur. In its commitment and steadfastness. Because that contrasts so badly with our own love and the state of our own lives. And that's why Paul prays that they may be strengthened. Imagine, you see an advertisement for what was once a magnificent mansion on the North Shore. It suffered years of neglect and abuse in fact, it takes a lot of creative imagination to imagine what it was once like. But you see this, and you imagine what it used to be like, but you can also see what it could become, which is even more magnificent than it ever was. And so you buy this rundown, dilapidated property. And you intend to move in and renovate and not just restore it, but build it as a magnificent building where you will live. What the structural engineers say to you, you cannot enter that building. It's too dangerous. And you moving around inside is likely to mean the building collapses. Before you can do anything with the building, you need to have it strengthened. And then you can move in and then you can unleash your plans. It's rather like that with us and the love of God. God's love is so vast and so pure and so amazing and so wonderful. And we need strengthening. A work of the Spirit of God in order for God's love to grow in us. That's why we need that strengthening. Let me pull this together. We're going to move into prayer in just a moment. You know, there, there is in the Christian life a time for being challenged. We all need to be challenged. We all need to hear the word of God saying, Graham, raise your game. And Paul's going to do something of that in chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians. Paul is very good at delivering the apostolic boot. We need it. But there are also times when we simply need to receive. 
We need to hear God say, I love you. We need to experience his love. We need to come and say, Lord, please, would you help me to experience more of Christ and more of the enormity of his love in me? Some of you may be here this morning and, you know, your Christian life has maybe reached the point where God's love just seems like something you say, but not what you experience. The Christian life has become something maybe of a drudgery to you. It's become perfunctory. You go through the motions. And you may be thinking, I understand what Graham's talking about, but my experience seems to be such a long way from that. Is that possible? Is it possible for me to experience God's love in that kind of way, in a deeper way than I know at the moment? or maybe than you've ever known? Is that possible? It's a great question. And Paul answers it in those famous words in verse 20. He puts it in a very Paul kind of way. But look at it, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That's Paul's way of saying, yes. And everybody will rejoice when it happens. And God will be honored and glorified in that. You see that? Those two verses are not about praying for the building project. <laughs> now to him who is able to do above all that we can ask or think, I'm sure, Lord, you can provide the money for us to do the building project, which is how so often it's used. It's a prayer about something much more profound that Paul is saying God will answer. To him who is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think or imagine according to the power that's within. Can you know an increase of God's love for you? Some of you who maybe don't sense his love this morning, can you know that God loves you? And Paul says, yes, you can. We're going to move into a time of prayer. So what's going to happen is this um, and I'll end by praying Paul's prayer. And then the ministry team will come up at the front and I think there'll be a, a space at the back and we'll just pray. And you may want to come forward and say, please would you pray for me? Or go to the back. You may want to pray quietly in your seats. Whatever's appropriate for you. And as I say, feel free to turn to the person next to you if you know them and and say, would you pray for me? Or maybe can I pray for you? Pray for those you know who don't know Jesus. Please do that. Pray for people who may come next week who you're going to invite and 
over Christmas. Pray for family and friends who don't know Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, I'm not sure I, I, I've ever given my life to Jesus Christ, well, that would be a great prayer to pray. But above all, remember that Ephesians 3 is addressed to followers of Jesus. So pray for yourself. Pray that you may know the love of Christ. The love of Christ in the experiences that you're going through at the moment, and for some of you, they may be really hard. For some of you who've perhaps lost your joy as a Christian, it's become, as I said, perfunctory and something of a drudgery. You just go through the motions. Pray for yourself and pray that you will receive God's strengthening in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and you may know the love of Christ. I wonder if the ministry team would just come to the front, please. And, and then please would you bow your heads. I'm going to pray this prayer. And then we'll just be quiet. When you feel you would like to leave, that's absolutely fine. Just slip out of the back and go and grab some coffee. But can I encourage you to pray before you go? You can stay as long as you like. The next service isn't until half past five. And one or two of us will probably wander around and, you know, if you'd like, uh, so Tim and I will probably wander around and maybe Tony. And if you want one of us to pray for, uh, you want us to pray for you as we come around, just give me a nudge or something. Let's pray. I pray that out of God's glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.